Hello, you're listening to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, presented by Brandon Elliott. This show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. It is your boy, Mr. Brandon Elliott. I'm excited today. We have a dear friend to me. Very excited to have this guy on. Casey Chapman has been in the real estate space for the last four years, known as that dusty top button. Uh, (laughs) What's really cool is out of all the people that I've had on the podcast for such a long time, I got really excited yesterday knowing that we have this episode today coming up for the podcast. So Casey, what's happening, man? How you doing? I'm doing really well. And we mentioned it, you know, just briefly in like the pre, how cool is it that real estate would be something that connects us, you know, like you're a dear friend and uh, I love what you do. And then real estate would be something that just kind of connects and binds our friendship, man. So cool. Honored to be here, man. Love it, man. So Casey, so for anybody out there that doesn't know, like we met coming up, I guess it's almost been a year, right? Not not quite, right in the beginning of COVID and you were hosting a home church, which was awesome. Just a, an awesome man of God right here. And so you hosted that. You have two amazing, beautiful children, Lucy and Leo. And anybody out there that doesn't know a little bit of your background, I know you've been in the game for the last four years, right? For real yeah. estate with yeah. a company. Tell us a little bit about the numbers and what you guys are producing. Yeah. Yeah. With them. Would love to. Yeah. So I, myself, I've been in real estate for 10 plus years and it's something I took for granted early and it's actually been in the blood. Like my dad was a broker yeah. and families in home building and dirt moving. So just always matriculated its way down, you know, but I've been with what's probably the largest flip portfolio in the Southwest and maybe, you know, like top five in the country. And we do just single family, low density flip, do a little bit of commercial stuff, but you know, living here in San Diego, I've just been all over the county for the last three or four years, buying and flipping. So that's everything from uh, you know acquisition, like relationships and acquisition, and then we do purchase. It's kind of my strategy on the front side, on the buy side, and then I manage design and contractors and budget, and then exit strategy over all of our flips. So that actually really interesting, sitting down and just pulling some numbers. Cause I don't spend a lot of time in the numbers. I'm more of a relational guy. Yep. Uh, I've done something like f- over 50 million in sales over the last three and a half, four years and like four and a half million in total construction over that same time, which is, yeah, it's powerful, got, man. I, I was a little blown away myself I mean, we got high dollar stuff, you know, and, yeah. and a lot of our projects sure. are flying in at 75 grand or hundred grand, but a lot of money moving in the last three or four years in construction. So. Yeah, that's so good. And yeah. right now you're in the Amazon, right? With all the birds going in the background. Uh, I love so it. If it's a little loud, it's just because I flew down to the jungle just to be live here. Yeah, someone special. I live up in Fallbrook, which is the north part of San Diego County. And we take advantage of the beautiful country. Okay. That we have here for sure. We also yeah. take advantage of the deals we find out here because people are finding through COVID, there's more land, there's more space, there's bigger houses, there's more bang for your buck in, in the outskirts. So yeah. That's so good. Okay. So the last couple of years you've been working with this company, you guys are obviously expanding for the most part, you guys are only doing flips, right? No buy and holds. 
Yeah, we hold, and especially here in San Diego, we hold very little stuff. I mean, we, we definitely don't hold any low density. We, yeah. we pick up a couple of, you know, medium density, 20 to 30 to 40 unit stuff, and like two of them in Oceanside that we'll hold. But our bread and butter is flips, especially with what's been happening in the last couple of years. Yeah. At least up until the last year, we were heavy on the courthouse steps. Not a lot of people could show up with the amount of money and the flexibility that we had in the team. Just resources of people running title and checking trustee sales and able to move money as fast as we are. Yeah. So just not a lot of people could hang with us on the courthouse steps. So good. Yeah. The relationships there. I've gone to the auctions in the past and it's like old school mafia. I feel like, you know, it's like yeah. no one to talk. You have the headphone and it's covered. <laughs> they got the relationships, man. Poker glasses, you know, and so nobody yeah. can look each other in the eye. Yeah, it's good. But and, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit, but like one of my dearest relationships, my dearest friendships has come from somebody at an auction, wanted to talk to somebody and nobody would, nobody would talk to this guy. He actually owns a, and I'll just plug him. He owns a hat brand called Melon Hats and they're just beautiful lids. He was trying to find somebody to help him through the process. And I just saw him looking for somebody, decided to like shake his hand. Yeah. Uh, two and a half years later, we're great friends. He's got a great product. My helping with some real estate stuff and he's a believer and just a really cool relationship out of that. So that's so cool, man. Yeah. So you have, you have something very special about you. I, I think it's very similar to like Jennifer in the aspect of, you know, you connect with people just like that, like very quickly in an amazing way. You always make people feel very welcomed mm. and just the love around you is just so special. Thanks. I think this has like something to do with uh, the relationships that you build, obviously, when it comes down to all the different people that you're dealing with. Obviously, it's not just within your team, but you're managing 50 plus different industry, you know, contractors and so forth throughout the last couple of years. So, as far as building these relationships, any type of uh, advice or guidance that you would give somebody maybe just getting started on just getting other people to feel welcomed or, you know, building the relationships one-on-one with the right yeah. contractors? Yeah, it's a great question. And I, you know, for me, and I think it could be seen as a little uncommon in the space because flipping construction, it's, it can be a gritty space, you know, it can be a kind of a sharp cutthroat, all X's and O's space. And there's a fair amount of that that's got to be there. You know, dollars and cents don't make sense. We're not, you know, we're all in this to make money. But, you know, one thing I was thinking about and I, is I've had a lot of grace for people, you know, like a couple of the contractors I brought on early a few years ago, they were rough. You know, they were a little rough to the, to the turn. You know, the quick turn product is different than a handy come in and fix a sink. They're similar type of people, but... Yeah. Anyway, there was just a lot of grace and I could see people had skill and decided rather than when they messed up the first time, I'm going to have some grace for them. And then I'm going to lean into how I can encourage them. So as to answer your question, I spent time getting to know these people early on to pick out like, okay, these are the type of people I would want to work with because of some other things of their character, not so much the way they turned the wrench, you know, but uh, how do they act like, how do they speak to people on the phone when they're having their lunch break or you know, how do they interact with somebody at Home Depot when I get a phone sale and have to pay for them? Like if I can hear them interacting. So it was to spend time getting to know them, getting to know a little bit of their underpinnings while building those relationships at first. 
That's good. Yeah. yeah. So just spending time, you know, diving deeper into each person to really get to know their character and then building them up as, you know, the man or, or woman that they're supposed to be really and, and showing the quality, you know, with certain contractors that you've referred over to me, I can just see the leadership and how like kind they talk about you in different ways, which has been really awesome. And, and then we're both just like bragging about you for like five minutes <laughs> as, you know, we're working on one of my deals. So it's kind of funny just to see how well of your character really rubs off on other people. Yeah, I appreciate that. So when it comes down to this past deal that, you know, we're working on here locally in Old Town, you have like a certain gift that we had to call you in for right away. And right when you walk into a property, you were the one that actually helped inspire really and point out how we could add an extra bedroom upstairs. And then for the downstairs, we could add an extra two bedrooms and bathroom by just clearing out all this dirt. You know, it's a a little bit of a project, but that's at the end of the day, just utilizing the same exact square footage. That's where all the value is at. And I know you've done this on several other projects for, you know, the team that that, uh, you're always running. When you walk into a project, what goes through your mind originally? Because many people don't see a beat up, distressed property like you do to actually get creative enough to be like, hey, we can do this just with the current layout. Yeah. And it makes so much sense. Yeah, great question. I'm going to hit you with the X's and O's side of it first. And I'm going to tie this into what I love to do relationally. You know, like, especially in San Diego, it's maybe like 75, 25 product that is sub, that's value add stuff. You know, yeah. it's 50s, 60s, 70s built. They had boxier layouts. They had wasted rooms. They had the dining room and the living room and the family room. You know, so it's a lot of experience in utilizing like that dead space to add bedrooms or add open concept stuff. So, you know, there's there's certain markers that we look to hit. Like, you know, if you're a three bedroom, if you can get to a four bedroom or if you're a two and can get to a three, what it does to your value on the sale side is or on the rental side is incredible. There's other thresholds. Like if you're at a four or a five going to a six, doesn't do much to your value. So when I walk into a house that's two or a three, instantly looking for, especially sub 80s built, I'm looking for, okay, where's that dead space at? That they used to box themselves away in generations prior that we don't necessarily want to anymore. So it's really a lot of that experience here in San Diego because of our product. The other side of it, and this is where I'm going to tie it in selfishly to the relationship piece, because I kind of wrote this down in my pregame notes today. So I spent some time working with a specific contractor, a little bit higher price guy, but like the moniker of him, if I could have tattooed a belt on him or something, it would have said, we're not scared of, and then entered an explicit, yeah. <laughs> Anything. <laughs> so good. And he and I together got really good at doing this together. So like this wasn't a gifting, I, I didn't go, I wasn't, a, I've never done a ton of CAD work, an architect or an engineer. I had a relationship with a guy who wasn't scared of anything. So we tried some stuff and sometimes it didn't work. We had to bust it down and kind of go back. But once we got in the flow together, this contractor and I, it just like, once you do a few things, then you see that it can happen and then it steamrolls. So now my eyes go there every time. So I found a relationship that helped me through breaking down a couple of them. And now it just becomes part of the way I see and look to maximize the deal because I had that relationship that helped me get to that place. No, it's so good. I mean, I feel like it should be second nature. And obviously for you, like it's become that after doing it a few times, but all investors, even myself, like I've walked 
a ridiculous amount of properties and we've done a handful ourselves, but for some odd reason, it wasn't like the first thing that popped to my mind of like measuring this out and easily seeing, Hey, if we take down this wall, if we remove the steps, if we build a wall right here, we move the window over, then with this square footage, we'll still be able to add an extra bedroom. And we got all this dirt down here. We easily could just, you know, remodel down here, get an extra two and a bathroom. It's just crazy to think how natural and secondhand it should be. But no matter how many deals or until you really train your mind to be able to do so, I feel like I've walked that property with so many other real estate investors, like really high-end experience, supposedly, right? And then and then you come in out of nowhere and you're like, boom, boom, boom. It's it's just a, it's a natural gift. I feel like that you need to train yourself, which is awesome. And it speaks to like having another or two or three or people sets of eyes. Like for, yep. if I'm not mistaken, the lower level work was, you and I, we kind of went through the upper layout in that place. The second level work, I think you were the one that really encouraged that backspace, the dig out, the push it back. Like we might've talked about it, but then you yeah. went somewhere that I didn't. So we love to pull it from the word like iron and iron, but yeah. having people around you who are savvy and can pick up on things that you don't, because I've walked deals and missed stuff like that. We're, you know, we're, we're human, yeah. but good people around you walk deals with other sharp people only gets more you know, intelligence in the room. I'm all for that. No, I love it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. At the end of the day, I think you just sparked the fire in me on the top. And then I was like, well, let's see where else we can go with this. Yeah. So it was awesome. So talk to me about some of the deals you guys got going on right now and what they look like. Yeah. Most of it is all up North County, correct? Yeah, I try to stay, you know, mostly North County unless we find some stuff down in South County. There's another counterpart. I, I didn't name the company. I, w- I work for Wedgwood Properties. So you can go on and find them online, wedgwood-inc.com. It's huge. I have a counterpart that does the same thing down in South County and we kind of keep our spaces because we've got teams built, you know, regionally. Yeah. Lately, it's, you know, I mean, everybody in, across the country, especially in markets like ours, it's really tight, really competitive. So we have found, and it goes back to the ability to maneuver and the money. Like we found a lot of success north of a million right now. Just that bread and butter stuff, the, you know, this, the medium price range, the 550 to 650 to seven or any of that entry level stuff is non-existent. Yeah. That medium price range stuff is just getting really tight and people are buying them we underwrite really thin because of how cheap we get our debt. And I can't imagine what people are underwriting these median homes at right now to be able to pull deals and, and oh, flip them. Like, I just can't imagine. So yeah. we found a lot of success in North of a million where other investors, big and small, either shy away from, or just can't, they don't have the capital to go into too many of those Yeah, and then do the rehab and hold it for the, you know, the market time. We found a lot of success North of a million especially knowing like I just mentioned whole time, but the whole time on the North of a million stuff is whole time on anything is near zero right now. So now we're buying North of a million. And even if we have to spend 150 in rehab, we're going to light the thing up and it's going to tie up in two weeks. And and our whole time is going to be just like a bread and butter deal. So, So, um, so talk to me about the process of like, what are your guys whole times? I I know you got systems in place that you're rocking and rolling and there's no hiccups with you guys for the most part. So what does that look like right when you guys close on it and you don't have anything like your particular role isn't making sure the deal closes, right? You, somebody else tosses that over to you saying, Hey, this is a new project. Jump on it, Casey. Yeah. Team, 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 all of the people, you know, I do all the front end the you know, the pre-acquisition appraisal and stuff. And then we've got a team that kind of manages, you know, escrow documents and make sure yep. we close on it. 
foreclosure stuff has a weird, you know, the moratoriums and the tenderness has given us some weird timelines, but we're 30 to 45 days in construction. Once we have it, we might even be a little bit more We're we tend to be a little bit more deliberate with our design plans than I think normal flippers are. We don't do a lot of templated product. We specialize a little bit more and, you know, especially because we'll spend money north of a million. So we just like to be a little bit more intentional about our product, not use the same tile, not use all the same finishes, mix and match, especially because our name comes up on a lot more ownership records. So even I think the lay person or the cat, the normal consumer could see that, you know, our name on ownership and then begin to see our same product. So, um, you know, we're, and then on the north of a million stuff, we get designers in and we get a little bit more fancier and okay. we'll absorb that hundred day hold time in construction. We have that flexibility because of our size, because of our cash power, you know, yeah. the hold times don't eat us up as much. And so, yeah, we're about 50 crew strong and construction side down here, 50 people strong. And that's generals that can run top to bottom. And then it's a lot of sub trades. So one thing that lets us navigate really well in different types of product is pulling different pitchers out of the bullpen. You know, some houses call for the cheaper guy where he gets some of the trades and some specialists come in to match. Some projects are better run under one roof and we just get a lot of flexibility that way. So we can take on a lot of different deals because we're really flexible. So when it comes down to, are you guys mostly just focusing on like foreclosures or auctions? Well, it's yeah, we were. I mean, we were maybe 75% of the stuff was coming off the foreclosure steps. And those are still really vibrant right now. And in other states, the, the trustee sale stuff is still really vibrant. If you can maneuver, you know, if you can do research on the front end maneuver there, they're still yeah. really vibrant. California, they've gotten a lot tighter. So there's just not many coming across or not many that go all the way to sale. So what was like 75% foreclosure stuff, maybe the last couple of years? Yeah. Now, you know, maybe 25 to 30% of our pickup and we're a lot of on market stuff or we've revived some wholesaler. There's some wholesalers out there that are hitting the streets. Yeah. Hitting doors, hitting owners, bandits and door knockers or whatnot. And we've got some pretty good relationships with wholesalers that were quiet a couple of years ago. Okay. So with the company, are they doing mailers or direct or callers or anything like that? Or, or they're just using resources? Yeah. That do that, that we've, we've just gotten into, you know, as part of a bigger monster, getting down into some of those like local and sub market levels has been, you know, just that's it's not first priority. The last half year since COVID or something, we've started to do door knockers. And you know, I've always, because I'm a relationship guy, I go knock the doors around all the houses I'm flipping anyway. Yeah. And just say, hey, you never know when an owner's going to want to come out and, and uh, they see your sexy product and think, okay, let's we'll let this guy do the same. At my house, so but we're doing some social targeting stuff. Wedgewood is, and we do a lot of the door knocker stuff. You know, it feels like it's a must right now. Yeah, no, that's so good. Door knocking is always like the best way to get your face right in front of the person and and see, you know, how you could solve a problem. So talk to me. I know that you have some good stories as well when it comes down to you know getting potential deals just from door knocking. Yeah, with one of the projects going on right in the neighborhood and make sure all the neighbors are okay. They know you to reach out to you before they reach out to anybody else. These are important things, right? Um, so obviously yeah. you're building the relationship by obviously, you know, after you guys close on a deal, you're door knocking the neighborhood to let them know, Hey, Casey's in town and uh, we're going to be doing a little quick remodel here. What does that look like? Yeah. I don't think it can be overstated. Like the importance of connecting with people and okay. there's, there's just so many layers. Yeah. You know, if you do that and do it right and do it intentionally because you care, not just to blow people, you know, to shine people on. 
Sure. We know about like the mitigation of people trying to call for code enforcement and call the city or raise flags. It's a great reason to door knock, but I'll share an anecdote. Yeah. Bought a house in Vista, kind of the ranch setting, semi-rural and didn't know it when we bought it because we bought it really fast, but somebody had died on the property. And it was pretty horrific. You know, oh, wow. it was, yeah, it was really intense. Didn't find it out till after we closed. Hello, do a little extra research. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. How long ago was it? Was it, I mean, it, it should have been disclosed, right? It was well at the foreclosure steps. That stuff's not disclosed. Oh yeah. No, you they don't do that. Your own title as is, where is, what is, you take it, you bought yeah. it. So, which is fun. So it was maybe a year prior, but still really sensitive in the neighborhood. And so found that out and then, you know, extra encouragement to go knock on the door of the neighbors. So one of the neighbors was really engaging. Some people don't want, don't want you, but one of the neighbors was really engaging. I connected with, Hey, I understand what happened there. You know, we're going to be sensitive to the neighborhood. Here's who we are, what we do, what it's going to look like. Here's my phone number. Checked in with them a couple of times during the you know month and a half reno. And, you know, listed the property when I'm market tied up the first week. So I kind of didn't think anything about it. Before I closed escrow, I get a message from somebody, one of the executives of my company. And this gal had decided to go on LinkedIn and find out who we were and messaged, you know, one of the the executive directors of the company with the story. Hey, your field manager came out, told us what was happening, was honored his word about not starting at this time and not finishing too late. So received a bunch of praises then, which is, you know, I was honoring to get praises from other people. It was cool. Yeah. The, the better part of it was we ended up buying another house sort of in the same area. This lady had a friend. She must have told about our process. She must have seen somehow must have seen us and knew we were working in the area. She ends up connecting me with this lady and we sold the deal before it even hit market. The second deal that we bought in the area, we sold the deal before it hit market. So something that I did, you know, connecting with her or the way that we worked or all of the above resonated enough with her to not only sing some praises, but to tell her friend, Hey, I think the guy down the street, that's the guy I told you about. Let me plug you in. And I sold, I didn't have to even go to market and waste some Asian commissions and, and uh, oh, spend, nice. spend money on holding costs that I didn't need to, because I sold the deal before we even let it go to market. So good. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. So we just, with this new property that we're working on, we did something similar by going into the neighborhood and just two houses down, we've been talking back and forth. We haven't locked it up in contract yet, but hoping to do so soon, you know, with a potential sale as well. Like they're motivated. They want to move on to something else in the next couple of months is spring. And they tried listing it, didn't get the numbers they liked and took it off. And they don't want to go through agents anymore because how much they were like anticipating on paying was a fortune. So, and they're just frustrated from it. So it is great just to do that door knocking, build the relationships with the neighborhood. And we got free wine for, you know, one of our neighbors. Yeah. So it was some good times, man. Well, you know this, man, like, especially right now with how saturated the wholesalers, the let me buy your house with how saturated that is. People want to do business with somebody that Connect with them in some way. Yeah, with people. They don't want to yeah. do it with them. Let me call you because you buy homes or you're going to train me how to flip real estate. Yeah. They want to like connect. And even if your personalities, relationships don't connect, that's, you know, there's more success in that than robocalling a sign or hitting a door knocker and hoping that somebody's just going to be in the right place to decide at that right moment, okay, this is the one that I want to sell my house with, you know? And I don't do any of that from a sale, like a pitchy. I do it because it's just in my heart. It's more natural and it gets people involved in what we're doing. And, but there's real fruit from it because it connects to people. Yeah. I love that. So let's talk about, obviously, you know, when you get started on a project, they toss you over the deal and they're like, Hey, Casey run with this. 
Did they give you any type of restrictions or timeframes when they're anticipating it being done or they're just like, hey, you know, we got faith in you, obviously run with it and let us know when you're getting close to being done. Yeah, great question. And I imagine some of this is probably a little bit not foreign, but um, unique, you know, as your audience may be, they're independent investors where they're running this kind of themselves. Yeah. Which actually operate that way, which has been a lot of the beauty. You know, we're a huge company, big fund, but I operate, you know, this might as well be my own business in that um, all the strategies on, I mean, that's the way I care about it. And all the strategies on me, you know, I've got some money folk that like to know what we're doing and why, but but yeah, strategies on me, contractor relationship and management is all on me. Team building is all on me. Design work. We've got some fantastic designers that we partner with in Maverick Design. So when we need it, you know, when the house, the project calls for a higher level design, I will bring them in. You know, I do all the selections and the purchasing myself. I get it ready for my exit strategy. And then we partner with local listing agents here who, again, have those local relationships that can either get properties sold before they hit market quickly thereafter, extra sets of eyes, and then hopefully start leading us you know, some purchase deals too. Yeah. So it's been, um, so to connect with like probably your listeners, I run it as it's kind of my own and flip my own product design, my own finishes, uh, under kind of what we do globally as a company. Yeah, that's good. So you prefer to hire out subs, uh, instead of like a, a GC, correct? I mean, you can get the cheaper numbers and then kind of just rocking and rolling, but you got to be more hands-on. You got to be there more like a little bit of babysitting a little bit more to a certain degree. Is that what you guys mostly do on the flips to get that more affordable number or? Great question. Great question. It goes to, I'm just keep hitting this relationship thing because it's in like so many avenues of my life right now. Yeah. So, you know, normally I'm balancing seven to 10 projects at a time and that's low entry, entry point condos to, you know, plus million La Costa high end stuff. You know, each deal is really unique and I'm building a network of different people, GCs that handle it top to bottom or tradesmen allows me to pull the right strings at the right time. So if I bought a condo um, that was had a really thin margin and it's kind of in a sketchy area and I don't <laughs> like the exit value, but I saw a little bit of juice in it, you know, I want to keep the money wheel moving. Sure. Uh, I want to keep people employed and keep the mouths fed. I bought it thin. That's probably a time where I can go to my handyman or my tradesmen and patch things together for, you know, money efficiency. Conversely, you got to have the big, you know, the guy that can take care of and finish the quality <laughs> of a North of a million or a million five property. We've got him in the bullpen too. So I like going with what works and that's yeah, part yeah. of that. It's part of that initial strategy is like, okay, for me, it's What's not it going to take, right? Right. It's not just purchase price, exit price. It's yeah. like, okay, how are we going to dance this? How much time does it take? Do I really need to pay the GC or, you know, because the drywall is good. So I'm only bringing in trades and finishes. It's like the whole thing kind of wrapped up. Yeah. Um, and it's been one of the incredible blessings of developing a team over the last three or four years is I don't just walk into a deal now. Like, you know, where's the purchase? Where's the exit? What's the cost? It's really, what's the playbook look like on this thing? Yeah. Let me pull out the index of different people, know where I'm going to plug them in and kind of see the entire life cycle. So let's honestly, it makes me more having all those resources and those different plays on the card gives me more confidence in buying different type of deals. 
Yeah. So I know at this point, I mean, over the last four years, you, you guys have done like 60, 70 projects at least on your own at this point. But, you know, were you getting guided originally or just doing so many learning as you go to know the process of from beginning to end, like which trade should really jump in first? I know yeah. that was kind of like a little bit of a learning curve for me in the beginning. And I got a lot of guidance from my general contractors yeah. You know, you want plumbing and electrical to be done first before you start, you know, trying to get mud and, and drywall done and start painting, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, again, just to connect a little bit with your audience, I a little bit of a grace under the umbrella. You know, I made some mistakes early. It cost some money. I had that kind of that covering. You know, I would say, and I, I just keep looping into relationships. Like, so we start to get in and I'm asking questions. Hey, why are you laying floors before you're putting in kitchens. Yeah. Why, why do you want to put in kitchens before you lay floors? Why are you painting out? You know, I just started asking questions and then seeing the results and seeing that some guys paint first and some guys paint last. And some guys like to lay flooring down so that they can lay boxes and shim where they need to, you know, or some guys like to get their concrete level in the kitchen and then lay floors up to it and then do their toe kick around it. So I mean, I had a general knowledge of the construction process. Again, I've been in real estate for a long time. And then when the crash happened in the middle of 2000s, I did kind of REO, I did portfolio management for a bank and would manage the renovation work for bank-owned portfolio. So I had some of that experience. Yeah. Casey, you're going to throw this on me right now? I didn't know this. (laughs) The experience, right? Yeah. Dude, that's huge. I love that. And all that came from the people, like getting contractors and asking them then. Yep. So I had a little, I had the background and then as I built the team down here and the team came together, yeah. uh, asking them and getting, you know, why do you do this? Why do you do this? Again, it's relational because I'm just getting deeper with these dudes and it's really picking their brain to see the styles. So now fast forward a couple of years and it's, we go in and especially with new relationships, it gives me measures like, Hey, let me ask you, what's your order of operations here and why, you know, and I can gauge, I can gauge where the contractor's at, you know, and then how I'm going to have to navigate through the project given where he's at so a lot of it just came from you know and then and trial and error like flipping a house like you do all the tile work in your shower the most difficult thing to do is time your master shower glass and your photos because you, you can't <laughs> you can't get glass ordered and then can't get it for five to seven days and your tile goes up and then by that time you're ready to fly yeah and, you know, so that order of operations and just timing, timing and just figuring it out kind of a thing. So it came from a lot of, you know, just asking questions and understanding why people operate the way they do and just in some trial and error. Yeah. That's so good. Uh, when it comes down to, I mean, we're talking about relationships a lot on this one, right? So, uh, there's gotta be some bad relationships that come around as well in this small little niche of real estate, how do you deal with those relationships? Do you try to cut ties as soon as possible with any contractors that might just do bad work? Or I know you have a lot of grace over people to really show them over time, like who they can become. But has there been any bad times, unfortunately, that maybe money issues or something that, you know, you just totally had to cut ties with? Yeah. And and you're right. And I do like, I do have grace for a lot of people. Now I, I strategically, as it relates to the money, I strategically calculate or structure the way that I'm going to allow funds to go to people. Yes. Um, grace covers all. Yeah. I don't love to get my investors burned for all their money. I care yeah. about it. So, you know, a lot of times that writing is on the wall really early. 
it's in that question asking, it's getting deeper. It's realizing the first couple of jobs that the, I've shown up and I've opened up a trash can lid. There's a couple of beer bottles in the trash can. There's only so many people on this job, you know, identifying like a flag and character, not against alcohol, just not on my job site, you know, like <laughs> so some of those flags get raised really early. And even, even then you got to give people a little bit of a rope, not to say to hang themselves with, but you, you won't know until you give them an, an attempt to try. So sure. the important part, I think, as you, you know, try people out or, or build a team or build a relationship is being intentional with how you structure your payment so that you're doing two things at the same time. You're gauging the relationship and the quality of your contractor. You're also protecting your asset, which is your money and your home. And it's things like clear draw plans, like here's the work, here's the schedule of draw payment. Let's just stay tidy to those and stay disciplined to how we organize that. Yeah. So you don't get too far extended when then you realize I've got a bad contractor right? You give yourself that operational time to gauge them. And even if it means, you know, one guy's coming to mind and it meant because of how, you know, I didn't have the best discipline because of the pressure to get the project done and the amount of, you know, work that was involved in materials had to get him a little bit front load with money. It went all bad. And the writing was on the wall that I was either going to continue to pay this guy from behind, or I was going to have to cut bait and uh, get somebody else in to come finish it and lose money. And just had to make the decision there, given the rest of the history, to take the loss. Good structuring, curve, right? yeah, yeah, well, yeah, forced learning curve. But yeah. you know, moving forward, it's like structuring the money in a very deliberate way, in a very intentional way, especially up front. Oh yeah, really slow to pay, not not like lag to pay, but slow to get money in or multiple draws. Just gives you that time to see work and judge character. Yeah. I actually have exactly this type of story that just happened to me recently with my drywall guy. Well, they were doing not drywall guys, the tapers and mud guys right after they ended up giving a good bid and it was basically a three to four day project. And then on the very first day, there were certain signs that I saw, you know, I, I met at the property to check out with some of the other subs that were working on certain other things. And they kept on you know, coming over to me, bugging me a little bit and just complaining and saying that they ended up bidding too low and that, you know, we were almost taking advantage of them. And I was like, you're the one that gave me the bid. But anyway, now one of his buddies here, you know, but then they wanted to switch up the payment agreement and they wanted to get paid out daily. And instead of me even thinking about this, I was just like, yeah, sure. You know, whatever we can do that, you know, trying to keep them happy. Right. And and I should have saw the signs here. They ended up asking for a certain amount per day. And then I thought it was just in, in total. You know, if, if it was in total, it, it would make sense. But it was per person. I got frustrated from it. And I was like, you know, fine, here. I already paid a little portion. I paid the three guys. And then it ends up, you know, we're almost at, we're at 480 bucks for three guys. And now I only owe a thousand left. It just doesn't look good if they still got another three, four days left, right? So it was just a, a learning curve that surprise, surprise, the very next day, they started calling me with excuses like they're not coming to the job. And, you know, I got one day out of them, but, you know, so I didn't get a total like rip off. But at the same time, I probably paid a little bit more than what I should have. And now I have to spend time, uh, which is the most expensive, right? The holding right. cost. And I have to go out and find somebody else that is going to ended up being more expensive, took longer to get the job done. Well, that's when you call your boy from North County, San Diego. And that's ask right. Got a guy, a relationship with a guy, swing down to the rescue. That's true. Uh, 
and you got to work, you got to work through some of that stuff. So, you, yeah. you know, it's like some of the words are cliche, like the core values and the mission and the, you kind of like start to hang your hat, like harbor some beliefs and some, some like radar indicators. Okay. This is the way we work. It's the way my team works. When I meet new people, like, let me run through these things. Do they stand up to their word? Are they willing to like take a slow drop payment early because they know we're building the relationship? When I talk to them about building a relationship for long term, do their eyes lock? Like, are they here with, you know, what we're doing as far as building a team? Or are they just like waiting for me to pull the wallet out of my pocket and pay them? You know, like one thing we were huge about with our team and as we kind of grow into some other markets and, and some new endeavors, like we're all about our heart. And, uh, and like, we care about our projects and it started the, you know, the conversation with talking about it, like that might be a little bit foreign in this game. It's a lot of X's and O's and numbers and bottom lines. And, but when you really care about what you do, some of those other things starts to show themselves. When I really care about the type of people that I work with, the indicators of this guy always complains and always has a problem and never has his material and puts his beer bottles in the, in the trash can outside or, tra- you know, leaves tra- those things start to make themselves more present, you know? Yeah. Like when you really care about what you're doing, you start to see those things. Like I see somebody's behavior and demeanor, yep. maybe even before I see their price per square foot of painting, you know? Yeah. That's so good. You know, personally, you know, from a distance, I, I don't know, I'm not you, but from a distance I can see there's like, there's good people that start surrounding you just by what you expect, what you demand, right? At a job scene and um, at a project, right? So the people that you've referred over to me, it's just been high quality, like really great people, which has been awesome. Just cause it makes my life so much, so much easier. I'm like, you know, I can rely on these people. They are a man of their word and, and they're showing up, which has been awesome. Get the job done, like high quality, which has been great. But there's been certain people that I've hired on in the past that I, I know this is stupid to complain about or, or something that, you know, just kind of just like grinds into my ribs, I feel like. But when I have contractors like spitting all over the project, even even when we're in demo phase, I just I get can like, I don't know. I don't like it. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I paid for this project. Right. <laughs> don't spit on my even though it, it looks all floor. That's yeah. my tough floor. Let's see. Yeah. <laughs> That's my dirty. <laughs> that's my dirty floor. <laughs> or my clients or my investors' money is self floor. Yeah. yeah. Or just like cigarette butts all over the place, too. I'm not a big fan of that. But what I have realized is I'm not the best at keeping subs from like cleaning up their mess at the end of the day. And then it's been more of when one person makes a messy area and doesn't clean up after themselves, then the rest of the crew does the same. And so it's a bad snowball effect. So do you have any, any type of tips or tricks, or do you actually just like let people know in the contract or or beforehand, like, Hey, clean up after your stuff. If not, you're going to get penalized in in this way or shape form. Yeah. So I've done that. You know, that, that, the penalized part becomes like a last, like not a last resort, but kind of, yeah, it's last resort. It's a good way to say it. You know, I'm reminded of my beautiful kids and, the amount of times that you have to say the same thing over and over and over and that they watch the top, you know, they, the, the discipline, the behavior practice starts with, you know, I get convicted. We were walking your project the other day and I had an empty LaCroix can yep. and I saw a Gatorade bottle and, and for a moment I thought I'll just put this thing down there in demo phase yeah. and I got convicted. I'm like, no way I can't do that to this guy's project. Like his, 
this is, 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 you know, there's a lot in this thing. You know, there's a lot of courage and boldness and confidence in other people's money. And like, this is a big deal here. Yeah, but just because you see it everywhere else, it's like, it makes sense. It's natural. Like, this is a trash can, you know, the whole place is because other people are treating it that way. It's natural. So again, it starts with you're at your job and you care. And when you put care in all of the places of your job, like all of, if you care about your contractors, then when you care about, they understand when you care about the trash. And when you care about taking a phone call from them because the glass guy made a mess of his carpentry work and you honor those calls and you call each of them, you know, like when they see your care there, they understand it in the places where you're putting a little bit more of a thumb down. So I just, it's the squeaky wheel. I stay disciplined and I don't ever throw trash on my jobs because I don't want them to. You know, whatever the discipline is, it's like, I have to be the example. Sometimes I'll write it on the wall, guys, trash. I have one specific scenario. I don't know what it is with the alcohol thing on a job. It it shouldn't be there in my perspective, but I've kicked guys off a job site before for the day. You know, and this doesn't penalize them at all because a lot of these guys are are not on daily wages with me. They're on labor contract, you know, like a per piece job. So me kicking them off a day doesn't do anything other than delay them from getting the next check. It's not like I'm taking cash per hour out of their pocket. But it just reinforced the message that this is what we care about. This is what yeah. we care about. Pick your tools up. Come back tomorrow. Yeah. With one contractor in specific, it got into a place where it was he was leaving all of his demo stuff in the yard. And I was having to pay for it to get cleaned up right before listing. And I said, all right, every contract you're going to have, a, you're going to be paying this guy, my, my yeah. trash man, you know, a flat fee to come clean up after you. If you don't want to do that we're not going to do business. Oh, he, you want my jobs? Great. You're just, you're going to pay this guy. He's on contracted retainer with you. So when you're done, you're paying him X and he'll come clean up. Oh, you'll take care of it yourself now. Fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. Keep now you'll jump up. Yeah. Totally cool. As long as it gets done, you know, so just pull cards that, you know, uh, cards out of the deck and try them out. But it definitely starts, starts with me. That's so good. That's so good. I ended up showing up to the property one day and just started cleaning up after people. And I don't like to do that. And I could have hired it out. I should have probably hired it out. But just because I was there and other subs saw me doing it, you could tell people started feeling bad. And like they started cleaning up a little bit and helping out here and there. It just took, you know, 20 minutes. Everybody started doing a little bit. And it's like, well, there you go. You know, so that that was kind of... Yeah, yeah, you show, you show them by cleaning up after them. <laughs> but that's so good. When it comes down to the contracts, are you doing any type of verbal commitments with people, or you writing down to make it super clear how they're, you know, what you anticipate for that particular task and payment and so forth? Yeah, great question, and uh, it's kind of been an evolution. Yeah. So well, when I first started and a lot of this was, it was not so much wild, wild west, but it was like, I got to get some stuff done and, and I don't have yet those processes in place. It was a lot of handshake stuff and the leverage was me being there all the time and me holding the money, you know, which leaves room for lost, um, not met expectations or, Hey, you didn't say that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and paying extra money for it to get it done or having to strong arm somebody and so it started very verbal, very handshake, but it's evolved into more of detailed scope. Yep. You know, as, I'm, as I've done 60, 70, you know, somewhere along the lines, started to develop detailed scope that for one could be replicated for process. So the next deal and the next deal and the next deal, I'm not reinventing the wheel. That is pretty yeah. much the same every time. Right. And for a cost standpoint, and to now it's gotten where our draws, you know, all my contractors get paid on one day of the week, a certain day of the week. We have, you know, 
pretty chunk schedule trades, drywall pain, you know, mechanicals, demo, things like that. But it's been a process, you know, and it, it started really loose with just the need to get some stuff done and had to kind of like swing forward a little bit. Didn't have, didn't have the knowledge and the team to build all that up front. I started with dudes who, who didn't know writing down scopes of work, you know, it was pen and paper and me taping it to the walls of each room and texting them every day. Hey, you didn't forget this part, did you? Right. started. Don't forget the sticky note up above. Yeah. It starts really loose and now it's gotten to something more templated and we just tie our draws to it. And people know and that they have an expectation there. And so are you putting for the most part, like pictures to make it very detailed in your scope of work? What I've realized for me personally, with it depends on how much, uh, if they're more expensive type of laborers, they can get very detailed analytical, which is nice because you can babysit less and you can make your scope of work very clean and cut. Other times I feel like I'm overwhelming a lot of a lot of the trade line guys. And and that's something that it's like that fine line, you know, I don't want to be too detailed or else they'll start figuring, you know, I'm going to be a pain to deal with. Another great question. Just try to two quick anecdotes. So the handyman that has now over three years evolved and one of the better guys on the team, he was really rough early. Didn't do a ton of the email, like could take text photos. It was more, you know, rudimentary, not like here's the PDF of the different rooms. I was just a lot more. There were some growing pains in there, you know, had to work them up to it. But now he's to a point where I can send him home inspections and he understands what our goals are and what we're hitting and can read through home inspections and match it up with text. And he's really good. It was a process to get into it there with him. But he grew from a rudimentary place where I just couldn't give him a home inspection because I don't think he understood the nuance of a home inspector versus what we did and didn't have to do. He just didn't have that. I had to hand walk it to him. Yeah. Now he's really grown into it, which has been great. The converse, bigger GC and a great contractor where he does everything and has been really good on the handshake side. And as he has now taken the developed scope of work and leveraged it to, hey, and he used to do everything. And if there was a little here's and there's, he was good to pick it up knowing that, you know, we're doing the pictures big here. Yeah. We're doing uh, a big deal here. There's right, a lot of money involved. Yeah. Like I yeah. don't need to charge you for every smoke detector. Yeah. If we missed one kind of a thing. Yep. Well, now it's gone the other way. Now that we've developed this detailed scope of work and timelines, he's leveraged that into, Hey, you didn't say that I'm going to charge you for it. And rightfully so. And like, no one's looking for free work. But when we were a little bit looser, because of that relationship, because the relationship with the jobs and how many we were doing the volume, honestly, I got away with a little bit more. You can write as detailed scope of work as you want. Oh, yeah. There's always going to be more. Oh, (laughs) yeah. I have to rewrite mine probably like two or three times throughout the whole process. It's like, I don't care how good your Google spreadsheet is. You're going to miss something. So, you know, I depends on where you're at in the deal. Like I'm doing 10 deals at a time. We got to be systematic. Yep. We've had to evolve into tangibles. Things are replicable scope of works that are more easily broken out. That can be visual, like looked at really quickly early on in the game. I could be a little bit looser. And as long as I stayed on top of it verbally and because of the guys I was working with who weren't line by line guys, it worked then. But at some point it had to evolve because of the scale and because of the timing and because of the the size of the machine, if you will. Yeah. Quick question. Labor versus materials. Do you like to include things or separated? Yeah. Question. Fabulous question. I buy the pretties and things that I can quantify. I don't 
I don't even buy paint because some guys lay paint heavy. Some guys don't pay lay. you know, some guys are really thin on paint, drywall, muds, just nails. Like, I don't know how many nails it's going to take for you to rebuild that banister up there. And I don't yeah. want to have to yeah. go ahead and buy your nails. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many sheets. I mean, I could count how many sheets of drywall you're going to need to refinish this room. But so if it isn't pretty and I can't quantify it on a pretty end, like on that end, I don't take it on. Or risk. They, they right. could just excessively use too much. Yeah. Yeah. And then on the other end, you know, I know some guys will, um, will let their contractors down, especially some of the bigger guys that are doing more deals. They'll let their contractors buy all the finished material. And, you know, for efficiency sake, I know that helps some guys that are bigger. Sure. Here's the big, here's a big number that I need you to hit. You just get it all the way there. Here's my schemes and my templates make it happen. I get it. Yeah. But I'm saving money by buying finishes myself. Yep. I have a little bit more control over quality of product and I won't ever show up to a house and look at a light sideways. Like what was the choice here? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I love all that rough, you know, I let my guys keep build it into their costs. They're usually getting better prices on it anyway. So it shouldn't be, I shouldn't see, you know, dollar to dollar. I'll, you know, I should see it you know, uh, reasonably built into their price. And then yeah. I just manage all the pretty stuff. I love it. Yeah. So one of the final questions before we start wrapping this up, you know, the last six months, maybe year, there's been a lot of, you know, talk around town, right? In, in San Diego, at least, that a lot of the real estate investors are starting to look other places or not as many people actively picking up as many deals, you know, locally. How do you feel about the market currently? What are you anticipating in the future? And have you guys felt like you guys are slowing up a little bit within the company or are you guys still heavy rocking and rolling? Yeah. Great questions. I'm sure my daughter has a crystal ball. We could go pull down. And yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, no, she does. <laughs> I mean, it's a great question. You know, what's not any, anything groundbreaking to your audience, but like what's been happening with some of the numbers, especially in market like ours, don't make a ton of sense. So yeah, there are people, there are investors going to other places, I think just because of barrier to entry, man, it's just expensive down here. Not yeah, everybody yeah. wants to buy, we're holding, you know, this is no like, look at me, but I'm holding multiple north of a million dollar deals plus the renovation budgets. Not a lot of investors can hold that much cash. Sure. So they just have to go other places. We're not because we just have the luxury of being in business for 30 years and being in San Diego for 10 or, just, yeah. you know, we have that stability with as many people, both investors and retail, you know, end users as are leaving, they're also coming. You can only, you know, I don't know how, what your demographic is for your audience, but if you don't live in San Diego, there's only one San Diego on the entire planet. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, from my own perspective as somebody that lives here and just doing business here, you know, I feel like San Diego's going to remain kind of as it is right now. I think, I think things have to cool down at some point when interest rates finally start to, to climb a little bit and the political yeah. stuff settles like things have to settle down in pricing a little bit. They're not building anything new in San Diego. It's something like four or five or 6% of available land left to build. Otherwise yeah. it's infill or redevelopment. Yep. So locally, although something's, you know, things, things in the market have to cool down a little bit there. Are, I definitely see people, investors taking off to go other places, but we're not, we're doing really well. Yeah. It looks a lot different. Like two years ago, it looked like entry level. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Different price points. Yeah. Right now it's like, there's because buyers are active and there's money moving up at the North end, you know, which sure. traditionally has been longer hold times, longer marketing time, more selective buyers. Yeah. People are purchasing up there. That's now become our focus. Yeah. So it's just like the product has changed just a little bit, yeah. but you know, still rocking and rolling, which I love Casey, bro. 
I appreciate you so much, man. Nothing but value on here. Where do you see yourself in the next couple of years with the real estate company? And just what do you guys anticipate within the business? Yeah, great question. Then, well, the Wedgwood um, easy shameless plug because it's a great firm. Uh, they do fantastic business. You got any wholesalers on there? Uh, Wedgwood-inc.com or Brandon, plug my email, plug my contact stuff. We're buying all over the country and, and just a great firm to work with. Great firm to work with. So they're not going anywhere. Um, they've got some other divisions under the under the umbrella and Wedgwood is, is doing really well. Personally, I love San Diego and I'm looking to build the channels, you know, the, um, the acquisition channels down here, especially for Wedgwood. Yeah. Um, some, some friends and some private investors are looking at some stuff out of state too. And I think the market as a whole, and you know, this way better than I do, cause you're in a, you're a brilliant dude. I think a lot of investors or market as a whole is looking to get somewhat out of equity positions and into cash. Yeah. So looking into other markets to get cash flow stuff too. So love looking at deals all over the country. Um, again, take the email address or the phone number that'll Brandon will plug and would love to look at some stuff. I'm, so yeah, always pursuing real estate here and across the country just for the knowledge and, and especially outside stuff for maybe cash flow opportunities. And uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a dad of two kids, so I'll look forward to being discontinued to be a dad. I'm a mountain runner, so I'm going to get into some racing here. Finally, the races are coming back. People are coming together. <laughs> Bro, did we even cover that in the beginning? I'm not even sure. Just because, like, all the listeners here, if, if you don't know, Casey is uh, – <laughs> this guy runs like 40 to 50, 60 miles all at once, just knocking it out and mountains. It's not just like, like regular, like level ocean level type of ground here. He's just, just such a boss when it comes down to pushing his mind to the next level and, uh, and pushing his body, which is awesome. It's cool. The parallel is, is that real estate is 100%, not just a marathon, but an ultra marathon. Oh yeah. Real estate uh, is, isn't a sprint. Yeah. It's not a 20, it's like an ultra marathon. It's all about like longevity and perseverance <laughs> and then riding through the highs and the lows. And, you know, with the long game in mind, I, I think about real estate so much when I run and there's such parallels to running long, long distances up and down mountains as, yeah. as working through real estate. That's so good, man. Well, Casey, I appreciate you so much. You gave an hour of your time. Is there anything that the listeners could do to, to give back to you or myself? Just, yeah, heck yeah. Just keep following Brandon. Brandon, you are, you're a man of incredible wisdom and a ton of joy. And I'm, I'm honored to just spend, I mean, I'm, this is a little bit formal. I'm lucky because I just get to be a great friend of yours. <laughs> Listeners, a lot like flat out plug for Wedge. We can take down any deal. That's right. We can beat anybody on pricing. So if you got deals out there, Southern California, LA, Northern California, Nevada, Idaho, most states across the country, and you want to send them our way, I'd love to vet them and connect with you. And if you're into ultra running, trail running, and you want to connect and just wrap, or if you ever come into San Diego, I also run a guiding service. I have a bunch of friends that run that help me coach and run guiding services. So if you wanted to come to San Diego and explore through the trails, you can find me on uh, Instagram. So I'll just let Brandon plug any of that. And uh, yeah, if you ever, ever, ever come to San Diego and want to wrap real estate, renovation see a project or go trail running reach out yeah yeah if you guys want to run a mountain or like 10 mountains all in a day 40 something miles this guy will be the one to take you for sure <laughs> and we can talk in it we can talk uh, plumbing fixtures on the way up yeah that's right that's right baby i love it so you guys can all 
you know, check out the show notes right below and connect with Casey. He's a boss of many different areas of life. Somebody I really look up to and just blessed to have him as a friend. Tremendous, just a wealth of knowledge and really, really excited to see, you know, where he's going in, in the next couple of years. It's going to be life-changing and, and I'm just super excited for, for him and everybody else within his circle that he's impacting and helping out me included. So I'm going to ride the train up with this guy, but I appreciate you guys all for tuning in as always hit that subscribe button. So you get the newest notification every single Monday and leave a review. Let us know what you guys think about it. If you guys need any type of credit repair done for you services, make sure to check out creditrepairmobile.com as well as if you're looking to get educated on credit, be able to take up, you know, Get educated, fix your own credit, build up your own credit very quickly for personal or business, and then learn how to leverage it successfully into your businesses. Then you can check that out at creditcounselelite.com. And then you guys can always connect with me on uh, on Instagram, Brandon Elliott Investments, and then facebook.com forward slash Brandon Elliott Investor. But we will catch you on the next one, guys. Appreciate you all so much for tuning in. Casey, you're the man, brother. Appreciate you. Yeah, like me. Love you, man. <laughs> All right. God bless, guys. Bye. This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next time, God bless.